TED Audio Collective. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hey, am I normal listeners? As you can probably tell, I'm not Mona. She'll be back with new episodes very soon. But in the meantime, I want to introduce myself and bring you something very special that I've been working on. My name is Mo. I'm a listener of Am I Normal? And I'm also a podcast producer. I make a show with Pushkin Industries that I think you might really like. It's called Come As You Are. Every week, sex educator and best-selling author Dr. Emily Nagoski answers your real questions about sex using the latest science. The show is like a revised sex ed course, the one you never got in high school but always deserved. And trust me, there is so much groundbreaking research about desire, anatomy, and like orgasm that you will want to hear. And just like Mona does here on Am I Normal, Emily and I debunk cultural myths and question the concept of quote-unquote normality. So in this preview, Emily and I talk about our favorite fickle friend, the orgasm. We cover a few myths about what orgasm is, where it happens in your body, and how to train your brain to have an orgasm in different contexts, or how to train your brain to have an orgasm at all. In this excerpt you're about to hear, Emily answers a real listener's question about struggling to orgasm. Make sure you check out the full episode for all of Emily's advice on how we can work with our bodies and brains to have better, more fulfilling orgasms. Okay, here's the preview. And dare I say, get ready to unlock your most pleasurable life. You can hear the full episode and subscribe to Come As You Are wherever you get your podcasts. Pushkin. Hi, Emily. Hi, Hi there. Emily. My Hi, Emily. My and I'm, I'm calling, calling in because... I have a question for you. I have been struggling with an inability to orgasm with anyone else around. This is one of the most common orgasm difficulties that people experience. And it's highly treatable. I'm Emily Nagoski, and this is the Come As You Are podcast, where I answer questions about sex with science. 
In this episode, I'm going to be answering two listener questions about orgasm. I get so many questions about orgasm, but these two are specifically about surrendering to sensation, letting go. And I mean that in two ways. I do mean it in terms of letting go of judgment, letting go of worrying about your body or worrying about your orgasm while you're trying to have an orgasm. But I also mean it in terms of surrendering to sensation, turning toward the physiological process of orgasm in your body and just noticing it, allowing it to happen, paying attention with curiosity and patience. It might sound simple, but when you really try it, when you really let go of everything between you and orgasm, and when you really surrender to what's happening in your body, you'll completely transform your relationship with orgasm. Here to bring me today's questions is my producer, Mo. Hi, Mo. Hi, Emily. How are you feeling? I'm still recovering from COVID. I'm so sorry that you have COVID. Yeah, we're cutting out all your COVID coughs from this episode. Just yes. For the listeners at home. I'm doing great. I love answering these questions. We have gotten a lot of listener questions in the past few weeks. And one of the most common topics we get questions about is orgasm. And one thing I noticed is just like there are a lot of misconceptions about it that I'm hearing in questions. Yes. This is something I encounter all the time as a sex educator, even when I'm training medical professionals and therapists. Sometimes people approach orgasm like art. They know what it feels like, but there's no way to define it. Um, there is a physiological process of orgasm that is mm. helpful to know, and mm -hmm. there is a brain function of orgasm that might even be more important. Oh, my God. Yes. Did you learn any of that in school ever? Like... Are you kidding me? No. I went to public school in North Carolina. No one said the word orgasm. You'd be suspended for saying the word Ooh. orgasm in my public school. <laughs> that makes my education from romance novels seem actually pretty good, which what I learned about was spiraling in a cloud enveloped in ecstasy. Okay. Yeah, there's a really big mismatch in like fiction and descriptions of orgasm and how it actually feels. Before we get into the questions, there is just so much misinformation and bad media representation out there about orgasms, like what they look like, what they feel like, and how they work. So what science do we need to know about orgasms before we get into these questions? Okay, first, let us begin with the mind blower. Orgasm happens in the brain. Orgasm is a brain process. It's really not about what's happening in the genitals. That means all the difficulties that people may have with orgasm, whether it's having orgasms faster than they want to or slower than they want to or not having them, all of that is happening in the brain. And we can train our brains. We can change our experience of orgasm through a process of practice and learning. Okay, first, fucking wow. And second, can you just tell me your definition of what an orgasm is from a physiological perspective? Yes, I sort of invented my own definition going back to the classic American sex researchers, Masters and Johnson and Kinsey. 
From their work, I developed the very simple basic definition that orgasm is the spontaneous, involuntary release of tension generated in response to sex-related stimuli. Mm -hmm. The spontaneous, involuntary release of tension, that's physical tension in your muscles, Mm -hmm. that was generated in response to sex-related stimuli. Notice I don't say anything about what body parts are involved. I don't say anything about how it feels, whether it feels good or not, because the perception of any sensation is dependent on the context in which we experience it. And let's just make sure we say for the record that, yes, this episode is about orgasm, but orgasm is not the most important thing about sex. Orgasm is only as important as you decide it is. The only thing that matters about your orgasm is whether or not you wanted and liked it. And again, orgasm isn't actually the point of partner sex or masturbation. Pleasure is the point. Okay, Emily, are you ready to hear the first question? Yes, I can't wait. This one's from Elle. Her pronouns are she, her, and she accidentally gave us her real name in the question. So I cut it out and we're just going to refer to her as Elle. Hi, Emily. I have been struggling with an inability to orgasm with anyone else around. It is always, I'm by myself. I always need porn to get turned on mentally. I can do it with a vibrator or with my fingers, but it's like the presence of another person just takes me right out of the game mentally, even though I'm enjoying myself and I'm very much in love and secure with my partner. It's something that's been stumping me for a very long time. I've never been able to come with another person in the room, just mentally completely like not there. Any insight would be great. (laughs) Very strange problem. Thank you. Bye. This is one of the most common orgasm difficulties that people experience, and it's highly treatable. Mm. Okay, so how do you do that? So to begin with, people love it when stuff has names, and the diagnostic name for this. I'm not a clinician, but this does meet the diagnostic criteria for secondary anorgasmia. So anorgasmia just means lack of orgasm. And secondary means that it's a person who has orgasms under some circumstances, but not under other circumstances, as opposed to primary anorgasmia, which is where a person has not yet ever experienced an orgasm to their knowledge. So L is off to a great start. She can have orgasms in at least two different ways, both with a vibrator and with her fingers, which is spectacular. That means there's more than one context where her brain has access to the right stimulation in order to get to orgasm. Hooray! (laughs) What that tells me also is that she knows how to search for and find more and more kinds of context that grant her brain access to orgasm. So Let's start with like the basics of how arousal and orgasm work. The mechanism in your brain, many people are already reciting this with me, the mechanism in your brain that governs sexual response is called the dual (laughs) control mechanism. If it's called the dual control mechanism, how many parts does it have? Two. Two! 
And if I tell you the first part is the brakes, then the other part must be the... Accelerator. Gas pedal, the accelerator. I'm cheating because I've heard you say this a few times. <laughs> yes, of course, because this is, this is the thing I say. <laughs> so the accelerator or gas pedal, it's technically called the sexual excitation system. It notices all the sex-related information in the environment, right? That's everything that you can see. Everything you hear, smell, touch, or taste, and everything that you think, believe, or imagine that your brain interprets as sex-related. And it sends the turn-on signal that many of us are familiar with, mm -hmm. right? That is the accelerator. That's the beginning of the arousal process. And it's functioning all the time, subconsciously, including right now. Here we are talking about sex. That's just a tiny little bit of sex-related stimuli. And so you're experiencing just a tiny little bit of activation of your accelerator. So you're saying it would make sense if listeners are feeling just a little bit turned on just hearing about orgasms right now. I mean, you are receiving this tiny little bit of sex-related stimuli, so yes. But fortunately, at the same time, in parallel, you have breaks that are noticing all the good reasons not to be turned on right now. Everything that you see, hear, smell, touch, or taste, and everything that you think, believe, or imagine that your brain codes as a potential threat. When it notices any of that stuff, your brakes send a turn off signal. So the process of becoming aroused is a dual process of turning on those ons, receiving that sex-related input, and also turning off the offs, getting rid of all those potential threat stimuli. Does that make sense so far? Yes, absolutely. So you have the accelerator and the brakes, and what's going on with Elle in this circumstance with her accelerator and brakes, do you think? Right. So when she's by herself, either with her hand or with her vibrator, she can sufficiently activate the accelerator to get to a really very high level of sexual arousal, such that she crosses a threshold generating all this tension in her body, all this physical tension in your body, anyone who's had an orgasm might recognize. And that happens because she's got plenty, abundant stimulation to the accelerator and not too much stuff activating the brakes. Now, we take this same brain, the same body, the same kind of stimulation even, and we change the context. We put another person in the room. Her brain is interpreting that other person as something that hits the brakes. Mm. And even though this is a person she loves and feels really confident with, mm -hmm. still, somewhere in her life, her brain got trained to interpret the presence of another person as something that hits the brakes, even a person she loves and trusts. Right. So I reached out to Elle to hear more about her situation. And she is aware that it's the presence of another person that's the barrier for her. Um, but she's just struggling to figure out how to move past it. So let me tell you a few of the things she has tried so far. Oh, sure. She has tried using vibrators during sex with her boyfriend. She has tried him giving her oral sex, him masturbating her like manually. Yep. Are there more? Yeah. So she says that when she's by herself, she uses porn. She watches porn, and that always does the trick. 
So porn is a great example of a stimulation that activates the accelerator. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she tried watching it with her boyfriend, Great. but she said that backfired. That really did not work. And she <laughs> thinks it's that totally it... Totally the opposite of helpful. Totally the opposite of helpful. All the shame and embarrassment from growing up in the Catholic Church kicked in. Oh. And she was like, that did not okay. work. Uh, that yeah. was a solo. That's a solo activity for me. Mm-hmm. And so those are the things that she has tried okay. with her boyfriend. And none of those things have helped her achieve an orgasm with him present. So what... Could she try next? Yeah. So the next step from my point of view is to focus not on activating the accelerator more, but on getting rid of the stuff that's hitting the brakes. And because her situation is so specific, I mean, you looking at the question, you can tell what's hitting the brakes, right? Yeah, absolutely. And she knows too. It's her partner, the living, breathing human being that's there with her. Yeah. So what a sex therapist would probably recommend is a process of graded exposure where she very gradually increases the presence of her partner in the room with her. So the therapist would probably have her maybe make index cards on a scale of zero to 10. So 10 is definitely going to be living, breathing human in the room with me, (laughs) for sure. Mm -hmm. Zero is going to be other human being isn't even in my home. Doors locked, no chance of being interrupted. That's a zero, no chance of my brakes being hit by this particular stimulus. And then graded between zero and 10 are going to be things like having a photograph of my partner visible while I'm masturbating in the way that I masturbate. It would probably make sense given that she's not likely to be interested in masturbating with porn with her partner to practice these exercises without porn. So step one, let's say it's uh, a photograph of her partner. So the eyeballs are there to be seen, but there's no like mm-hmm. physical human in the room. Okay, so we're going full 1945 Sears catalog style masturbating to a picture. <laughs> I would never have thought of that. <laughs> and then maybe they decide that around like a six, once she's able to orgasm at level one, level two, level three, maybe somewhere in the middle is going to be masturbating with him on the other side of the door, knowing that he's there and could potentially hear what's happening. Oh. Right? So that's definitely an increase in exposure, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Eventually, you get to a point where not only is the partner present, but they also could potentially be hearing what's going on. And then maybe you get to masturbating to orgasm without porn with your partner in the room, but completely in the dark. <gasps> I love that. So you can't see the person. This is a very intense challenge, right? Because this means that the living, breathing human is in the room. You can't Mm -hmm. see them, but you know for sure they're there. And what's happening is you're gradually building up your brakes comfort with the presence of another person. So you are training your brakes not to interpret the presence of your partner as something that it needs to respond to. Right now, Elle's brakes treat her partner as like slam on the brakes, emergency stop. What will happen gradually is that it responds less and less to that stimulus until eventually her partner can be present and her brakes don't even notice. Okay, so that's the science of what's happening. But like, why are those brakes even coming on at all? culturally, personally, especially with someone that you really love and trust? How did that happen? 
The answer is the patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) So many people, especially those of us who were raised as girls, are taught to shift all of our attention to the other person's wants and needs when that other person is present. Even if you know how to orgasm independently, once that other person shows up, you just block off everything about your own pleasure because you're too busy worrying about their wants and needs, making sure their expectations are met. You're worrying that you're taking too long. You're wondering if they're bored. You're wondering, you're feeling self-critical, like you should have been able to come by now. And that self-criticism is just more stuff hitting the brakes. Mm. So you're gradually training your brain not to activate all that ancient stuff that you absorbed about gender roles at some early part in your life. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I'm telling you, the patriarchy interferes with our orgasms. If we want to have great orgasms, if our partners want us to have great orgasms, we all got to collaborate to dismantle the patriarchy because it is super messing with our orgasms. We really need to get that written into the feminist agenda. Um, <laughs> can you talk a little bit more about what else like culturally, socially or culturally could be hitting the brakes? Is that even possible? I'm just going to say body image. body image mic drop so there's a lot of cultural stuff that could be hitting anyone's brakes oh yeah so many other kinds of things uh she said she was raised catholic Mm -hmm. which i think a lot of people who are raised catholic have told me that they were taught to feel ashamed even of the fact that they were experiencing curiosity about sex never mind sexual pleasure arousal orgasm for someone to see you it's like getting caught Mm. Many people who are raised religious, especially in a religion like Catholicism, where this idea that God can see everything that you do. Actually, Mm -hmm. I don't know for sure if that is a Catholic thing. I would have to ask my husband who was raised Catholic. I I was raised Catholic also. Yeah. Many people with that background experience even masturbation. They're like, God can see me doing this. Mm -hmm. And that alone can make it complicated and difficult. And they've had to overcome that level of being observed while they're with their body. And they might even develop uh, slightly unhelpful masturbation patterns because they just want to do it fast. They want to get it over with so, so mm. that they have as little shame as possible. So for that last bit of advice for Elle, I would say do that graded exposure activity. Even if you don't have access to a therapist, you can try it on your own. But also try masturbating without orgasm. Allow your body to experience sensation without any destination in mind, with no particular time limit. Just allow the pleasure to be what it is. Let it grow as much as it wants to. And just notice what that feels like. No judgment. Oh, sounds like the best Sunday afternoon ever. Right? <laughs> oh, this is so fun. I can't believe this is my job. Okay, um, after the break, I'm going to bring you another question about orgasm. And this one is about that sensation of needing to pee. And I'm very curious what you have to say. That was a preview of Come As You Are, a new podcast from Pushkin Industries. You can hear more episodes of Come As You Are wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 